Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Way back in 2005, two brothers set off on a road trip that would save the world and change television. Ernie and Bert? No. For 15 seasons and 327 episodes, Supernatural took audiences on a wild ride of family, fate, and faith with a rocking soundtrack and a seriously cool car. But that was then, Bobbo, and this is now. And yes, the show has quote-unquote ended, but we're not quite done with the journey. No, we're not. And that's why we're watching it all over again, or for Rob and me, for the first time, diving deep into every episode of Supernatural with the fine folks who made it. And we're taking you along for the ride. Whether you like it or not. I'm Rob Benedict. I played Chuck Shirley, a.k.a. God. Uh, spoiler! Yeah, it is a bit of a spoiler, but hey, spoilers are fair game here. Ah, fine. And I'm Richard Spade Jr., and I played the Trickster, also known as the Archangel Gabriel. And I did a little bit of Loki work in there. Okay, you know we're running out of time. Okay, well, we'll be talking about the entire series, so whatever we say, accept it. You've been warned. So buckle up and settle in. Because this, my friend, is Supernatural, then and now. Hey, everybody, I'm Rob Benedict. I'm Richard Spate. And we're here to talk to you about episode 11 of season one. Which is 111. I mean, if you look at the numbers, it's episode 11, season one, 111. That's right. I just had the thought that it's a shame that they didn't do like 70 episodes a season, that we would have had season six, episode 66. Oh, man, they missed a trick. Yeah. Of course, the crew would have died. but, uh, But this episode is called Scarecrow. And it's freaking scary. It's scary, man. Real scary. We're going to get into all that. We also have some great guests, Rob. Uh, great guests. Return, returning, uh, recurring characters. I know. Like, this is the beginning of us bringing back our phase, your yeah. phase. We've got Jerry Wanick, production designer, executive producer, and Bob Singer. Yeah, executive heavy hitter. producer, showrunner, Bob Singer. Good man. And uh, these are great. Directed people. more episodes than anybody of Supernatural. That's right. That's right. But first. Yep. Scarecrow. Scarecrow. Okay, so Sam and Dean get a call from Dad. Hello, Dad. Which is crazy. I mean, it's a, it's a call from Dad. They've been looking for Dad for 11 episodes now. They've been looking for you for 11 episodes. You slap your face. And that mic's going to go flying across the room, and no one's going to know what happened, and it's I'll your, know that I slapped your, your face. Uh, they get a call from Dad, and it's Dad. And, and Sam's talking, and Dean's going, Sammy, Sam, give me the phone. Give me the phone. That's, a, that's an intense scene, and yeah. Sam's going, no, Dad, I'm not going to do what you say to do. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Uh, bad son, bad son. Well, no, it was emotional, son. Sam's emotional and, and tore my heart apart. Mm. And Dean's like, let me talk to him. And then Dean does it. Dean's just like the good soldier. Anyway, I digress. None of that is in our summary, by no, the way. No, that's Rob's, me. Rob's hey. vamping. No, I just, look, I'm watching the show and I'm becoming a fan of the show. I can that's tell. wrong? No. All right. So dad, he basically, in the phone call, he says he doesn't want to be found. And he sends them on a ghost hunting job. Right. So they end up headed to Burkittsville, Indiana. Before they arrive, the boys have an argument. And Sam heads to California to try to find Dad. Uh, Dean doesn't. Dean goes nope. on to Burkittsville. That's right. Dean arrives in town alone and starts to investigate missing couples. Mm. Meanwhile, Sam is stranded at a bus stop on his way to California and meets Meg. And I'm going, Meg Meg? This is Meg Meg? Turns out, yeah, it's Meg Meg. She's also making her way to California. The character's last name was also Meg? Mm-hmm. Meg Meg. You didn't know that? Huh. In town, Dean zeroes in on a Scandinavian pagan god, a veneer. Manifested as a scarecrow, the local people are sacrificing travelers to. Note to self, don't go to Burkittsville. Dean and a local girl, Emily, get captured and are to be sacrificed, but Sam arrives just in time to save them. Thank God, otherwise the series would be 11 episodes long. That's right. We would never, never have gotten to 666. Together, they destroy the first tree, the source of the scarecrow slash veneer that dates back to the original immigrant settlers of the town. Emily leaves town. She's done. She's out of there. Because the because the people of the town really turn their backs on poor Emily. Yeah, well, they're going to sacrifice her, and then they expect her to go, okay, uh, yeah, I forgive no problem. you. Yeah, because like, like she was one of them. She was, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it was like this crazy cult. Sam pledges to Dean that they'll stay together. 
Later that night, we see Meg murder someone who picked her up hitchhiking. Oh my gosh. She slashes his throat and fills a silver goblet with blood. Silver goblet? Wait, no, I mean blood. (laughs) Is that silver? (laughs) She recites an incantation to speak with an unknown demon she calls Father. I'm going... This is Meg Meg. This is crazy. I was going, no, wait, what? No. You know, you you talked about something in the summary that leaves a lot of questions. They talk about destroying the first tree. They don't go near the first shrub. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Surely that means that this critter could come back. Wait, they they never touch the, but they they burn it, don't they? The tree. Yeah. Not the shrub. No one's ever talked about the shrub. No, he's over the first shrub. What you're telling me is... We got to be worried about this first shrub. I'm saying there could be a smaller scarecrow out there wreaking uh, havoc on smaller couples. Okay, great. This is why you weren't in the writer's room. Um, well, what do you th- what you think, Rich? I thought it was great. This yeah. one gets a full bushy beard from Rich Spade Jr. I loved the episode. It was scary as hell. Again, a Kim Manners-directed uh, masterpiece, which I didn't even realize. I watched it, and I was like, damn, this is good. Went back. It's Kim, Kim Manners. Manners. It's so scary. I thought the script was great. I thought the through line of the boys' fight was great and yep. well done. And then the boys' apology was really heartfelt and oh, genuine. Yeah. And I thought it was great. And Nikki Acox as Meg, oh, fantastic. So perfect. You know, great actress in everything she does and just nails this role. You don't see the turn coming at all. You don't? Her. I was honestly, I literally was shouting my TV. I was like, no, what? You really don't see it coming. No. And it's our first hint at like a big bad. Yeah. You know, it's our first hint also that we're dealing with Demons, and right? Like a crap. like a bad, a bad character, bad guy, so to speak. That's going to go beyond just one episode. That's right. right. That's right. Um, and that's, that's what makes them a big bad. Um, my notes to myself. I don't know if you want to keep doing this. This is notes I was making myself. And now Rob Benedict's notes to himself. Notes to himself. Okay. That's right. Sam sleeping with a t-shirt on, please. Well, how should he sleep? With a shirtless. He's mother effing Sam Winchester, man. I want to see chest. Okay, you heard it. You heard it from Robin. Like, take off the shirt, Sammy. Jensen climbing the ladder to whisper in the wearing pants. No, is that annoying? No, uh, <laughs> going up the ladder to talk to the scarecrow. Right, that was kind of sexy. Him and the scarecrow. Uh, uh, again, <laughs> I don't know. I put Jensen with scarecrow, sexy. Jensen with scarecrow, sexy. So okay, so Robbie has a fetish seeing uh, some of his friends get with uh, inanimate objects. I don't know why it, it moved me. The third, my third point is... Which part of you? <laughs> look at that one. What does that say? My note. Is that Meg Meg? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Interestingly, for people uh, who, who love behind the scenes details, her full name is Margaret Margaret. <laughs> but they shortened it to Meg Meg. Um, I mentioned this later in the podcast, but there's a great Steadicam shot of Dean cocking a gun that I really love. And the last thing I wrote in my notes is family business, bitch. I don't know why I wrote that. I don't know. I don't know what was, I don't know what was happening, but I think they're going to get that scarecrow, man. Oh, man. Because they're together now. They made up and they're brothers. <laughs> but uh, anyway, I loved it. I thought the scarecrow was super scary. It gets a full beard from me. Yeah, man. Uh, loved Meg and uh, <laughs> and, I lo- and I love the, you know, the relationship between the boys. Oh, the, the relationship was great. Cool. Yeah. So our guests today, Bob, Bob Singer and Jerry Wanick. Yes. Man, we love these guys. Yeah. They've been on the show before. The, the You people, you clamored for more Bob and, and Jerry, and we thought we'd bring them together. And interestingly, since COVID, they haven't seen each other. So it's a nice sort of old home week for these guys uh, to catch up and to talk a little uh, classic television with us. Yeah. And, you know, Bob Bob Singer, we said this before, but he his TV credits date back to 1973. Produced Cujo, oh for F's sake. TV credits, Time Cop, Lois and Clark. V. V, Midnight Caller. Yeah. Um, he really is a legend of the business. And Jerry Wanick, you know, like we said. Uh, Dark Angel, Andromeda Strain. And now he's the production designer on a brand new show. Well, I guess it's season three, but he's new to the show. Motherland, Fort Salem. A show, the producing director of this show is Amanda Tapping, who is an actress on Supernatural in its later years. And, and then- also a heck of a director. And she is... The producing director of the show, and now Jerry's on the show, so check out Motherland Fort Salem. There you go. All right. Without further ado, Jerry Wanick and Bob Singer. This is, look, right now, I mean, we're recording this. I'm so glad because this is this is a Hollywood moment. We're having a Hollywood moment yeah. right here yeah. on the podcast. That's right. You know why? Because we have returning guests yes. to this podcast. Yeah. We have Jerry Wanick. Mm-hmm. We have Bob Singer. Yeah. We have two of the biggest bigwigs in the supernatural universe yeah. together here. Yeah, it's a comet. Yeah, it, it really is. It's a fireball. <laughs> welcome back to don't, the podcast. Don't gentlemen. look up. It's don't look up. <laughs> welcome back. Welcome back to you both. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. 
All right, we're, I want to get into it. No? Just do. Uh, we're talking about this episode, Scarecrow, which I really enjoy. I thought it was freaking great. Yeah. And there's a lot going on that we really hadn't seen before. I feel like the show took a step forward. Is your memory of it the same that in this episode, we kind of took a step forward in, this, in the way the story was being told? Well, it's got to be in the top two or three scariest episodes of the season. You know, we had the right director for the job and in, in, in Kim. You know, it just came together great. And the scarecrow was really funny. And the story was solid of this classic horror story. So uh, hats off to Jerry. I remember I wasn't up there at the time, but I remember there was some um, where the hell are we going to shoot this town? And I think Jerry can speak to what, what he came up with but it, it worked great. That was a, throughout actually the 15 years, we had a hard time because we were all supposed to be in small town USA. And, you know, those just don't exist anymore. And we had already shot a number of times in Fort Langley and other places. And there was this museum in Burnaby. But, you know, Kim, who embraces like anything, said, yeah, let's, you know. And, and one thing, uh, you know, he could control. He also knew his lensing and stuff like that, and how to make it not look like a miniature or a, a museum type piece. It was really because it was too small. A lot depended on what your scene was because you couldn't have traffic crossing at the same time because the street wasn't wide enough. I mean, Bob did a great job with it for the the final with the uh, pie eating contest or you know the, the fair, and you know it works great for that because all the buildings are nicely painted and it's it's a very attractive set. But it is smaller scale. And again, you know, I love uh, Phil and John to death, but they were more particular about things than uh, most directors as far as getting out there and taking a chance. But Kim warmed the idea right out of the gate? He did. Yep, he did. And, uh, you know, I just watched like the opening. He did this wonderful crane move, this 360 around to get them coming out of that store. And, you know, that was just what he liked to do. I mean, he... uh, He would look at it and he would go, yeah, well, you know, some episodes, the story just tells itself and others, you just got to pull out a lot of tricks. And uh, through all his years on every show you can imagine, he had a lot of tricks. Yeah, there are a lot of epic shots in this one. Maybe that was one of the reasons I felt like it took a step forward. Like there's a there's a shot where the Steadicam comes up and frames Jensen and he cocks the shotgun. Right. And it's just right. kind of this kind of an iconic looking shot. And, and the, all the shots of the people running from the monster and the, sh- you know. The well, there's sh- also that sequence where everybody's got an umbrella. The, the right. town fathers and mothers are sort of gathered in that coven sort of setting outside in the rain. And, and he just swings the lens from person to person and then booms up and over the umbrellas as the right. rain is pulling down. That's really cool. Really cinematic stuff. He actually stole that one from Hitchcock. Um, yeah. Foreign correspondent, but, you know. He did it well. He stole it well. It was in the 40s, and it was this iconic shot. But, you know, we all steal. Yeah, sure. Glenn Glenn Fry said to me, um, this was about music, but it's certainly true in the film. He said, amateurs borrow, pros steal. (laughs) (laughs) And and Uh, art, art directors pay homage. There yes, we go. Uh, that, that sounds so sounds so respectful. Fancy. I, I am into paying off. <laughs> um, the the it was a scary. It's a scary episode. It's a really scary episode. Yeah. I mean, you know, Bob, you're saying that it it stands up as one of the two to three of the season. I would I would say, wouldn't it have a pretty high ranking in the show overall? I mean, it's it's a creepy ass episode. It, it's very creepy. And again, I you know you know Jerry and I could wax poetic on Kim for for hours. He just made the most of everything. And and Serge lit it really well. I mean, there was a, a lot to the lighting, especially in the uh, in the orchard. It was it was just beautiful to look at. And every angle was scary. I mean, he, he was just a master at that. And like I said, you know, last time we were talking about Kim, you basically cut what he gives you. He, <laughs> he doesn't. Um, right. Yeah. He's 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 camera cutting for you, so to speak. Yeah. So, you know, his episodes were uh, generally the short time in the editing room. But this one, I think he really he just nailed it. It was just scary from the jump. It, it agreed. Now, you you mentioned that he he was the master of that. You said use that phrase. But, I mean, X-Files, other things he'd done weren't necessarily horror, per se. I mean, when you use that term, talking about his his cinematic abilities in this instance, did he have deep roots in the horror genre? 
Not, not so. that I know of. I, I think he's just, uh, he would shoot what the script demanded. I mean, he had done so many hours, so many shooting things. He'd seen a lot of directors come and go in his time before he even started directing. You learn from others' others' mistakes. Um, but he just had a natural aptitude to uh, as a shooter. He was probably less concerned or... We never got notes from Kim about the script. He really shot what, what we gave him. So we didn't go through a lot of notes with him about the, the text. He was more concerned about the shooting and, and, and letting the actors do their thing. That was just him. I, you know, I, I think I'd pay a little more attention to the text than he did. I don't think I would have shot Scarecrow as well as he did. So we all have our strengths and um, his was uh, putting it alive on camera. You know, I mean, every, every episode he did, we talked about it last time with Dead in the Water. You know, I, you know, for me, I said, that's, that's the way the show should look. Right, right. And that's also, by the way, an incredibly scary episode. Yeah, yeah, television. Is, yeah. Just hold that thought. We're coming right back. You can sense it calling out to you. New reality seeks you. Join the journey to save Anomaly. Place where sound is magic. The only way to enter the world is by looking inward. Along the way, you'll learn potions, chants, and enchantments that will help you both in that reality and yours. So, answer the call and let your campaign begin. Featuring the voices of Ruth Connell from Supernatural and Dead Boy Detectives. There are ordeals ahead, yet with guidance you will face them head on without fear. Todd Stashwick from Star Trek Picard and Twelve Monkeys. When the time arrives, wherever your journey takes you, be there with no attachments. And R&B singer N.C. Gray. There are worlds, realms, dimensions, and realities beyond yours. Anomaly is a role-playing meditation podcast that takes you into a world of magic and fantasy. You'll be invited to imagine yourself in scenarios such as learning to cast a tranquility spell or exploring a land vanquished by a dragon, but all connected by a shared mythology. The goal of guided fantasy role-playing meditations are to help you cultivate a sense of wonder, curiosity, balance and joy in your inner world. Role-playing meditation is a form of escapism and relaxation, as well as a creative outlet for the imagination. The first campaign is an introduction to the world of Anomaly, its lands, magic, and secrets. In the eight chapters, you'll stretch your imagination, learn to center yourself, offer forgiveness, find confidence, relieve stress, and stop racing thoughts. Your true self will emerge, allowing you to manage your goals and dreams without confusion, distrust, or self-doubt. You can find it on Spotify, Apple, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Or visit SeekAnomaly.com to learn more. Anomaly spelled with an I-E, not a Y. Seek Anomaly. Hear its magic. Thanks for listening, everybody. And now back to the episode. I mean, really creepy. Part of what was scary about this episode was the the scarecrow itself. Great costume. Who gets into the process of designing the creature in the costume? Would that be something that happens in the writer's room or is that? No, that, that's that's an art venue. I think Robert uh, Leader, my now art director, and at that time was our set designer and illustrator. I think Robert, he did a lot of the um, the creatures and different uh, specialty things that we did. As oh. Robert's a uh, very good illustrator. It's funny. It, the, the head looks like... It looks like it's it was like a imagined in the drawing. You mean with the, the the sunken eyes and for sure. Yeah, and Robert's a pretty sick guy, so you know he. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's an unstable man. <laughs> Matter of course, that's like a Tuesday. That helps. <laughs> when we first saw it, you know, I mean, it was it was beyond our expectation. You know, when you're down south and you're kind of worried, is this thing going to work? 
and then when we saw it, we, you know, everybody was just, wow, that is, that's great. It was also kind of fortuitous because we found an orchard with a lot of dead trees. These were like, it was a hazelnut orchard and it had gone bad. And so we have these wonderful sculptural elements that are dead, but like you backlight that stuff and it just looks so creepy. Yeah, that, that was a huge thing. And uh, it's funny because Kim it was almost like a parlor game, Bob. When when Kim would come onto the set, like the first scout, he goes, hey, I'm going to do a 40 here and then I'm going to be doing an over and call out every single lens between him and, you know, like Serge and stuff. It was almost like a parlor game. Another thing that was uh, you, you had to be careful with, and I didn't learn this till about the third episode with Kim, is uh, whatever you showed him, he expected that to be the best thing. And he was just going to go ahead and figure out his blocking. I mean, he did it instantly. He would stand in a room and he never wanted to be in a band scouting. He wanted to get and do his homework on his shot list. So I remember this um, one episode and we looked at this one apartment and he was staying there. I said, okay, Kim, now we're going to go to a, you know, the next location. And he goes, what? We don't have any more location. I said, well, no, it's another version of this. He goes, oh no, I got this blocked already. No, we don't. I'm not going to start over now. <laughs> and that bites you in the keister because if you if you were waiting to, for the big surprise to be the last place is phenomenal. It's funny because there's certain uh, directors, never Bob, but a couple of directors, not to name names, but if you, if you showed them a location, okay, it was immediately, well, what else you got? That's a, that's a thing that goes back, like when I worked in LA a lot, it was almost a game. You, you had three choices usually. You started off with the worst one and you worked up and then finally you expect the big bang and they go, oh yeah, this is great. But we didn't do that. Like after about, well, we didn't do it after season one. We just pre-scouted. We sent the pictures down to the directors and uh, we really very seldom did we scout more than two days on any episode with the director. So that meant everybody got chance to prep. We committed to something and Again, that was a big part of the success of every episode between Bob ushering and making sure that we got the scripts in a timely manner. And then the communication between us and down south about what we were going to shoot. And then by the time the directors got up, they had seen the files, they knew kind of what we're up to. And, and then we were off to the races. Now, as you guys know, we like to bring the audience up to speed with some TV and film terminology right. as we're going through this. So I want to pause and talk about scouting because I don't think everybody knows what that is. So Jerry, from your perspective, discuss that. And Bob as well, from a director's standpoint, what is scouting and, and what is its value and what is what ends up happening in that process? You know, when you, when you read a script, you have something in mind, what you want to look like. Something that I do with the script is I, I, I run a movie in my head and it's the best movie physically that it can be with a great location, the place, you, you know, that's lightable and so forth and so on. Then you go out in the van and you're, and you're looking for that sort of perfect location that that's in your head. When you're shooting eight days, that's not always doable. Uh, one of the great things that, that Jerry would do which made life easy for all the directors, I think. Jerry would show you stuff and he would say, I mean, he would help you schedule. He would say, you can shoot this in the morning and then just go around the corner here and then we can do the, the, the diner scene here. And then around the corner, we have this alley that'll work really well for the such and such scene. So Jerry would help you map out your days. At that point, as a director, you're saying to yourself, well, well what's important to me? What you know, what can I give up? And but what's the most important thing? And Jerry always would somehow know what the most important thing was, where I would spend most of my time, uh, what was the hardest thing to shoot, and to try to make it doable. So sometimes you would say, well, it's, this is not the greatest apartment in the world, but this is not the most important scene in the world. And I'm, you know, I'm going to do three shots in here and then get the hell out. So it doesn't have to be perfect. I think some directors get sort of hung up that it's you know, it has to be perfect. And then they don't make their schedule because, you know, they pick something where now you got to make a, the whole company has to move, kill hours doing that. Anyway, the scouts on Supernatural, to get back to what scouting is, is you go in a van, you're with your AD, you're with Jerry, you're with, with other people initially. And you try, Jerry says two days would be the probably the average, that's, that's about right. And, and those are even more in full days, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, Jerry, but we would also do work in the office. 
And, you know, it was it, for me, I mean, I did the same thing that Kim did, right? I would get into a location and I would block it. And if I couldn't block it, if it didn't work for me in the script, then I would have to say to Jerry, this is really not working. Let's let's come up with something else. That rarely happened because Jerry has a great sense of how to shoot something. But being able to to block it on day one in your head is is a great advantage, you know. So so the scouts on on Supernatural were like the best scouts I've ever had. And, and that's really because of Jerry, because he did so much scut work before I or any other director got there. Right. Because it's, it's, there's so much that goes into it. You you want to you have a vision of what you want it to look like, you know, and then it, with Jerry, Jerry has to find those locations. It also has to work with scheduling certain actors on certain days. Yeah, there's so much that you don't even think about when you're yeah. when you're just acting in the show right. or, or doing something else that Jerry, I got schooled on quickly, mainly by Jerry when I started directing because Jerry was the boots on the ground guy, you know, finding all these things. And you know, I remember him calling and like, I know you probably want a busy street, but let's not do this on a busy street. Let's make ourselves, let's build ourselves a busy street because that way we can be off out of the grid and we'll have, you know, longer hours to work on this location. And there's so many things you just don't think about. Right. You need direction. You need somebody who understands. And the time, the time, which you don't think about if you're a viewer of a show, you don't think about, oh, I, I bet that house was around the corner from that house, you know. But right. of course, in order to make a feature film in eight days, that all has to play into it. Right. And that's got to make your job really challenging, Jerry, because you're finding, quote unquote, perfect, but also logistically feasible. Yeah. What works? I was scared every day. But, you know, at some point, it just, it happens. But really, the first, you know, six years or so, when we had so many locations, because, you know, we had no mental letters, we had no standing sets. Once in a while, we went into Bobby's. But so now we're really running and gunning. So is that, I mean, this felt like it was all locations, except for the, the seller. Was this an all location you remember shoot? that in the Scarecrow? It felt like a lot of locations. Well, we built the motel. Right, sure. And then... Um, I don't know, because, you know, at that time, it was literally a sprint. I mean, every day it was the same because we usually, thanks to Bob, we usually had three scripts. So, you know, the one you're shooting and the one you're prepping and then the one you're thinking about, you know, you're, they're all laid out. I, I don't remember freaking out over Scarecrow, although I was pretty much freaking out over every one of them, because had I realized the show I was agreeing to, I don't know if I would have done it. Right, right, right. <laughs> I was hired, and then I found out there was no standing sets, and, uh, <laughs> and these guys were on the road. I'm going like, oh. Um, what, do you remember where the uh, Scarecrow was, that outdoor area? Yeah, no, that was outside of Fort Langley in this um, hazelnut orchard. Wow. Right? Yeah. And we had looked at a lot of places and all of a sudden that one was basically dead. There was some blight or something going through there. Anyways, it was perfect. We just walked through there and went, wow, that's, and then it was foggy that night. I I remember people having a hard time getting home from that night shooting because the fog came in so heavy. And I remember Kim shouting because I wasn't on set that much, but I usually open the set to make sure everybody's happy. And then, you know me, Bob, I'm I'm there right till the end. You know, Bob used to give me relentless shit about like, oh, oh yeah, you good now? Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll be here till about four. I said, yeah, Bob, I, well, I won't. Yeah. I go, but, where, where, are you, where are you having dinner tonight, Jerry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I would say Nook. And then he got you bastard. <laughs> so now you guys ended up with actor-wise, cameo-wise. You got a pretty cool cameo out of The Smoking Man, William David, William B. David, who was a big deal on X-Files at the time. Is that a, is that a Kim Manners favor phone call? What, what, how does that play out? Well, sure, I'm sure it was. You know, although Eric was up on all that stuff as well. I mean, you know, he was, he was an X-Files guy and... Um, I'm sure the smoking man was probably Kim with with Eric's uh, blessing, but was was this Nikki's first episode? Yeah, yes, yeah, it's where we meet yeah. Meg. Right, Kim really wanted her. He knew her from X Files. Yeah, and he was this is who he wanted. There was uh, he was digging his heels in on that. Not that anybody had a, a big objection to her, but but Kim was really uh, at the forefront of uh, of hiring her. And she was perfect, you know. I mean, she was yeah. just this little itty bit of a thing with a pixie haircut. She could play evil. She could play sexy. You know, she she was terrific. Yeah, she seems kind of fearless. She's great. Yeah, she's, great. she's a great actress. And when you guys brought her in, 
Was the intention, we're going to use this character again? Well, a lot of that depended on, uh, with any character, how, how they did, did they score right. in the episode? Um, you know, if, if you had someone who said, oh, that didn't work. I'm flop sweating, that that's actually what it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you find your way to, you know, not do it again. Yeah, Nikki's case, we, we talked about the last time, you know, a lot of people that came in that were basically one-offs, we said, oh, this 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 character really works. We have to, we're going to write towards this. Certainly Nikki qualified in, in that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was great. I, I, at the end of the episode, I remember thinking like, ah, oh, she's coming back. No, she's really good. Really good actress in, in everything she does. I think Kim tried to bring her up almost every episode he did. You know, <laughs> I mean, he just, he really had a, a, a thing for uh, Nikki. I mean, and Again, she was excellent. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we're watching episodes one through 11 at this point. Episode to episode, the guest stars are super strong. And I don't care if it's somebody who comes in and says one line. Like, and this is American casting and Canadian casting. You guys really had a great track record with your casting success, man. Because that's not always the case. You know, sometimes something slips through the cracks and you end up having to work around it or whatever. And maybe maybe that did happen. And just as a viewer, I'm not seeing it. But as a as a guy watching the show basically for the first time, everybody's swinging for the fences in the guest star department. I think some of that was luck. Some of that was uh, Heike, who is our casting person in Canada. Heike's unflappable. So you could go to a casting session and you go, no, I think we missed there, Heike. What I really want is a Jerry Wanick type or something. Right. And, you know, a day later, <laughs> she'd find that person. So she was great to work with. Um, and then Bob said, what are you doing here? <laughs> Jerry, <laughs> That's actually how Jerry got his job. Yeah, listen, I wanted a Jerry Wannick type, type. <laughs> By the way, how many how many times in Hollywood have we heard, get me a Jerry, Jerry Wannick, Wannick type? type. Oh, I mean, it's day. just. If I had a nickel. The battle cry. Yeah. <laughs> One other thing about Kim, by the way, I was going to say this earlier. Kim was, um, as Jerry was saying, Kim wanted to, you know, get his locations out out of the way early so he could do his homework. Two things that always happened with Kim. Whenever we did a rewrite and sent it up, invariably, Kim would look at the rewrite and say, oh, now you guys are killing me. I got to do my homework all over again. I mean, you know, he wanted it to be. Yeah. From the from the first draft, that was yeah. it. And the other thing he would always complain about was, this is the toughest episode you ever given me. How am I going to, this episode is, God, you guys are killing me. And there was one episode I go, Jerry, I mean, Kim, it's a three-hander for 12 pages, and it's a two-hander for 20 pages. <laughs> How yeah. can this, in, in, a, yeah. in an apartment, how can this yeah. be the toughest episode you've ever done? <laughs> now, people are listening to this going, it was a character with three hands. Yeah, I, I, I remember uh, the three-hand episode. Yeah. Yeah, it means three characters in one yeah. scene and then two characters in another scene. He's a two-hander. Um, exactly. Well, you know, I mean, I think he may have just been built to react <laughs> adversely to the Everything. first blush of a script and then settle into it, right? I mean, that was part of his ritual. I think a bigger part of it was, you know, there was always a very healthy competition between all the directors, really. I mean, you know, everybody wanted to do the best episode. So you can't do the best episode unless it was the hardest script you ever got. So, (laughs) you know, I'd walk back there and, you know, Cyrus was a producer at the time. And between the two of them, they were just, oh, did you see this? Oh, did you, you know, they go back and forth. And I had the same reaction as Bobby, because I remember when he did the shadow episode, that was a tough one. He had to figure that out. That took a lot of work. But then the very next episode was a piece of cake. And that's when you told them, like, Kim, really? You know. (laughs) But uh, the shadow episode, that's the one that went so far as, like, Cyrus wanted to dress monkeys up. (laughs) And have go on <laughs> and and mimic the moves of the character so we could see the shadow on the wall of the monkeys while we shot the other. Oh my god! Oh no, it made no sense. But <laughs> man, I would love to have been in the room when, when somebody <laughs> Cyrus raises a hand. I have a thought. <laughs> oh, monkeys, go with me go here. Go with me here. <laughs> yeah, well. That was every 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 concept meeting, every production meeting. That was he's passed away, right? Yes. How, when did he pass away? At least six, seven years ago. I only know that because somebody we were interviewing at some point said, Cyrus, may he rest in peace. I didn't know. Oh, yeah. Um, 
It was uh, Ivan Hayden. Ivan, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Bob, with the, in the first season, it's all Monsters of the Week, right? Is there, at the beginning of the season, are people <laughs> throwing out different monsters? Like, how about Scarecrow? Ooh, Scarecrow, that's good. That goes on the whiteboard. Cookie Monster. Right. Ooh, okay, I like it. Whole <laughs> Muppet thing. You know, is it like that, or did Krippy go, this is what I want, or like, how collaborative was that? Uh, early on, Eric had... You know, like, like Hookman, not right. one of my favorite episodes, but right. Eric had what he used to call Googleable villains, Googleable monsters. Uh, and I remember thinking at the time, so we're going to run out of Googleable monsters pretty, pretty quick. <laughs> the Google monster is going to destroy our show. I wish I had a time machine. I could go back to different moments when Bob was in the room to see Bob's reaction to things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like Bob's reaction to that statement. Like, oh, Google. I'm going to run out of. <laughs> Oh, there were some good ones. You know, you guys know me. I oh man, I hold my tongue. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, not known for that. <laughs> but you know, like uh, the, the scarecrow thing. I, I I forget who came up with it, but you know that was one of those ones. You go, well, if we could pull this off, that could really be great. And then the story that got built around that of uh, this town sort of worshiping this thing. You know, it was kind of a classic horror trope, which so that all, you know, that worked great. A lot of people would come up with stuff and, you know, a lot of it got rejected. But one thing we were always telling the writers is, you know, don't take rejection and go off into your room and sulk. Just think of something else. Right. Yeah. And so many of the writers were with the show for a long time. When did Andrew Dabb start? Was he there at this point or no? Andrew came in with a partner, I think, maybe in season three. Okay. Yeah, because I remember they they killed me in season five. I remember, I recall that he wrote. Oh, he killed you. Dab wrote uh, one of the episodes. Uh, <laughs> I was just uh, clarifying that Andrew Dab, who we're talking about, became the showrunner in the last uh, five years. Right. Yeah. yeah. So you being in the writer room, Bob, uh, the whole through line of Jensen or Dean and Pie. Yeah. You know his love of Pie, which became a bit of a fan trope and a fan favorite thing characterization of him. This is its debut, it seems, in this uh, in this episode. He goes into a restaurant, he orders a piece of pie. How runners are made is that just sort of happenstance, and then later on somebody else brings it back, and then next thing you know, it's got it's got legs. Or was that sort of in his character Bible? It's like Dean, you know, daddy issues, resents his brother, <laughs> loves pie, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and long walks on the beach. <laughs> Pie was not in his Bible, no. Um, no, you know, I mean, somebody, uh, you know, whoever wrote this one, you know, said, yeah, we'll have meeting Pie, right? And Jensen pulls that stuff off so well, we say, okay, that, that'll become a bit of a runner. Anytime they're eating, Jensen, do you want any, you, know, you got any pie? And, it, you know, yeah, it lasted for pretty much the entire <laughs> yeah. yeah. Entire run of the uh, show. He does do that. Jensen really well. eating, by the way, is I mean, he he would go out to stuff with gusto. Uh, <laughs> you know, a lot of actors don't want to do eating scenes. Ed O'Neill, who I worked with a number of times, was great at taking the fork to his mouth and not quite getting it in before he said his line. So right. it looked like he was eating, but it really wasn't. Jensen would actually eat, and I used to. I always did one more take than was necessary. <laughs> I just wanted to take another bite of that hamburger. <laughs> well, I mean, he cursed himself because for those who don't know, you know, a scene's not done in one take. You're talking about right. multiple takes, which right. means multiple bites of that burger or pie or chocolate bar or whatever. And so a lot of times... Yeah, and you got to match it, you know. Yeah, the, the, the veteran actor might decide to, to pull the Ed O'Neill. Right. Or you have, you know, Dean Winchester and Tony Soprano who are both plowing through their entrees yeah. in the middle of the scene. But it looks good. It, it looks, looks real. Good. But no. I gotta put the gotta keep the prop team on their no. on their heels, you know. Well, for you sure. know, we we always had a, a, plenty of food there. It was Robin never ran out. <laughs> always had an extra hamburger. Well, fortunately, uh Jensen has the body of a god, and so it didn't really take much of an effect on him. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Yeah, that's something I always notice when people are actually not eating in a scene, and also when there's no coffee in the coffee cup. That's a that's a real pet peeve of mine. Swinging that coffee cup around like yeah, no. put in there. Well, there's something about you know when people have to drink or something. When, when you guys as actors would know, there's probably a way to hold the damn thing, which and, and act it like sure. there is something in there. You know, yeah. right. But if you're just picking it up, you know, if you jerk a coffee cup up and right. no coffee comes yeah. out, yeah, <laughs> yeah. If you're using it like a pointer, listen, you. Yeah, you got to give it some weight. <laughs> it's not sloshing about. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. And look, he, Jensen committed to those bits. Maybe 
to his own personal detriment, but for great entertainment on the show. Well, that's why it was so great about it. Was like he's this badass character, but then he can soften so easily. It's loves pie. Yeah, yeah. A lot of lot of brother in the story of this one. A lot of brother conflict. You know what I mean? In a cool way, because Dad starts off the episode, and we're talking a lot about the Scarecrow, but that other the other storyline is they part ways, right? And then it's it's knowing your brother so well that his silence tells you more than anything he could actually say, would say. You right. know what I mean? When, right. when when Sam can't get him on the phone, that's all he needs to hear to know that something's up. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a cool bit of discovery of the characters in this episode as well. Yep. Kind of unlike, you know, I know you love the brother conflict. I think it was a cool nuance element, yep. right? Yeah, yeah. And how much was that, Bob, being an, again, writer's question, how much of that was, I know you guys are planting the issues between the boys and the relationship with dad, but in this episode, we get their complete departure from each other. We get an apology. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of shoe leather in this about the boys' relationship. As well as Monster of the Week, how detailed was the arc of the boys as it ran through the season? Like, how, how specific... Like, did you know by episode five, they need to fight? By episode 12, they need to make up? Like, that kind of stuff. We didn't plan it out to the nth degree. I, I remember in, in this episode, we just sort of said, you know, it would be good to split them up. It would be good for them to have a disagreement and, and split up. Frankly, part of that is how much they had to work uh, when they were together all yeah. the time. And we didn't spend a lot of time with uh, with the monsters outside of when they were being confronted or the, the guys were nearby. So in the first season, they were really, you know, they were working an awful lot. Right, right. So uh, breaking them up in this one gave them a chance to have a, a, a day off. You know, and, it, and it's a good dramatic thing. You know, what's the classic love story? Boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy gets girl back. You know, yeah, it was that. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, and, and also that was great to see too. I mean, to see Sam have his own little thing with 100% Meg and then find out she's like a demon or something. Yeah, and it was a great way to introduce a villain. Yeah, yeah, very. Um, well, listen, uh, we're going to let you guys go so that we can save some stuff and have you back on again. Yeah, this is not, not the last time. Sorry, guys, but, not the last time. But you are both all-stars, and uh, we're big fans, and we love you coming on and talking about the show. Yeah, thank you so much for your insights, guys. Really appreciate it. This is Jensen, stopping in to say hey, and let you know that we've got to take a quick break. I'm about to pop. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. What's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day what would you do would you go for a run take a nap read a book watch supernatural maybe all the above or maybe it's that thought that brings in a sense of panic i mean the question is what time for what if time is unlimited how do we use it sometimes the hardest time for people who work every day is the weekends when people are faced with a choice if i've got this free time what do i do with it if this rings true for you maybe therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. I've benefited from therapy for many years now and I talk openly about it. I still go to therapy um, about once a week and it's just such a nice time for me to to have that free space to to try to figure out who I am really and what I really want and what makes me happy. It's super important and often neglected taking this time. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and flexible and suited to your schedule. So all you do is you fill out this brief questionnaire, you get matched with a licensed therapist, and then, oh, get this, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge because they want you to be happy. That's what this is about. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp dot com slash s p n t a n today to get ten percent off your first month. That's BetterHelp h e l p dot com slash s p n t a n. Hey guys, it's Rob. So check this out. I'm very pleased to announce that we have a new super sponsor. That's right, Marvel Strike Force. So Marvel, the one and only Marvel, has a mobile game, and it's a comic book fan's dream. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains 
in a fight to save the universe against threats like Dr. Doom and Apocalypse. So, okay, so your goal is to power up your favorite characters and you complete missions and then you unlock fun stuff like gear and other resources and then you beat other players in a PvP, player versus player mode, such as Alliance War or Real-Time Arena. So as we, as I record this, they're enjoying their six-year anniversary. So you know what that means? Free stuff. Free stuff, just for signing up via the unique link in the description. So the anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. And if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. So make sure you log in every day, each week, you take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code for every new user, so please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. All right. Thanks once again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hey, guess what? We're back. Gosh, I love those guys. Yeah, me too. Me too. They're great. And we'll definitely, they have to be recurring characters on this podcast because they have a wealth of stories and information. At the end, they're, they're like, oh, we should grab a beer. Man, wouldn't you love to be at uh, that beer? Well, you know what's funny <laughs> is, it, is that. Bob starts to say, I just have to say, it's just, you know, I know this is just a, is this audio only, but it's so nice to see. My old pal, Jerry Wanick, there was a, I thought he was going to go, you know, all you guys. You know, it's great to see all your faces. <laughs> he's like, but he's already seen our faces. I in, know, in I know, I know, I know, I know. I just want to be, my. that's my way of saying I want to be invited to that. I want to be on that, Bob's cool list, right? I want to be invited to that beer. Me too. Um, well, listen, let's get into the mythology. Mythology, mythology. Mythology. The pagan legends of this episode are like some of the elements of American Gods by... Neil Gaiman. Kripke has mentioned he's a big fan of American Gods and Gaiman's work. Which, by the way, is a fantastic yeah. book and show. You will see, and show, and also the themes of American Gods show up in Supernatural many more times. Yeah. Or how about this one, Rich? In Norse mythology, the Vanir are one of two groups of gods. The better known are the Aesir, which includes Odin, Loki, and Thor. Oh. Big fan of that Loki myself. Yeah. The Vanir are tied to fertility, sexuality, and Sam shirtless in bed. I'm listening. Go ahead. Also prosperity and also Dean cocking a gun. Okay, that's not in there. <laughs> fun facts. Fun facts. Fun facts. The Professor Dean Meets is played by William B. David, who played the iconic smoking man in the X-Files. That's right. We talked about that in the interview. That's right is a good get for a, for a cameo. Mm -hmm. This is the first appearance of Meg, a fan favorite character played by Nikki Acox, played brilliantly by Nikki Acox. However, and here's a spoiler. We're going to see a lot of Meg and there's actress is going to change who plays her. And oh, someone, thanks a lot. Someone we know plays later Meg. Whatever. Great. We'll find out. Name of the town this episode takes place in is Burkittsville, Indiana. If you look closely, you will notice the Dean's phone has the first names of people from the art department in it. Oh, interesting. Jerry Wanick, Robert Leader, other people. Mm -hmm. That's the person's name? Other, other people. Wow. Author, it's O um, with an umlaut. Uh -huh. T-E-R, okay. it's Nordic. Author. Okay. P, P dot yeah. old. Oh, yeah. <laughs> P Paul. And this episode is the first time the title actually appears on screen. Oh, the title of the episode. Oh, wow. okay. And that's the thing they did from here on out. Later, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, cool. Well, thanks everybody for listening. It we was... really appreciate it. We're we're thrilled to bring back uh, two fan faves and to talk about a great episode of television, a great episode of Supernatural. Subscribe, won't you? Please. Join us for every week. Just subscribe. Just make that commitment. Just do it. You've been dancing around it for weeks. Honestly, at this point, it's embarrassing. Everybody's talking about it. Just commit. We're popping the question. All you have to do is say yes. <laughs> <laughs> what? Is that not? I love it. This episode stars Jensen Ackles as Dean Winchester and Jared Padalecki as Sam Winchester. Guest stars were Jeffrey Dean Morgan as John Winchester, Nikki Acox as Meg Masters, William B. David as the local professor. Co-stars included Tanya Salinier as Emily, Tom Butler as Harley Jorgensen, and P. Lynn Johnson as Stacey Jorgensen. Scarecrow was written by John Scheiban. Story by Patrick Sean Smith, directed by the legendary Kim Manners. Editing by David Ekstrom. Music by Jay Gruska. Executive produced by Eric Kripke and Robert Singer. 
The original broadcast of the episode featured music from Coal Pits, Credence Clearwater Revival, and Bad Company. The episode first aired January 10, 2006. This episode of Supernatural Then and Now was hosted and executive produced by Richard Spade Jr. and Rob Benedict. Produced by Stephen Hine, written by Stephen Hine and Hayda Holscher, and edited and associate produced by Trey Booty. What's up, Booty? Music provided by Tim Wynn. The episode was recorded with the help of Sonic Fuel Studios and Fartoon Studios. This podcast is from Story Mill Media. For news on this and other podcasts, please follow Story Mill Media on Instagram and on Twitter. One, two, three, and four, and so this is intros and outros for one, one, one. No shit. Dean and a local girl, Emily, get captured and are ready to be sacrificed, but Sam arrives. Just I don't know if they're ready to be sacrificed. No, no, no they're not. <laughs> they're probably, probably opposed to the I'll idea, try, I guess. Try that again. Name the town. Wait, that's not what it says. That. Is that three things? Huh? No, that was four, and I've got a fifth. No, no, but it was, it, it was a city game shot of what? Of Dean cocking the gun. Oh, so it's not, it's, it's not three things. No. That's Dean cocking a gun. Right. Okay. Now, I, I thought you meant Dean a rooster and a uh, gun. Please cut that out. Put it in the in the bloopers if you must. You're such a jerk. I'm trying to be honest here. These are my honest reactions. Good to okay, see great. you, so get Good to see you, Jerry. Okay. You look great. No, we don't know. Not in this show. And you know what? Our producer, Steve, sent us a link today. Like, if you, And he said, if you want to know more about Meg, click this link. And I clicked on it, and it gave me the spoilers. I didn't want to know. I didn't click on it. I'm no, I'm not, I'm not, I don't need the clickbait, Steve. I'm not going to tell you what I saw, but I saw some stuff, man. <laughs> Can't I saw some it. stuff. Story Mill Media. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.